What's up, people? Welcome to a brand new edition of Wrestle Update. I'm your host, Dylan Fox. As always, joined by my good friend and your good friend, Nello De Anelis. It's been a while. Yeah, um, it was that, that weird interim where we recorded on a Wednesday not much happening other than Suke Bon, and now we're now we're back at it. Here we are, Wrestle Update. I missed you, and I I'm missed so you glad, too. I'm so glad we back got back on. Our pre-show banter was just totally random. When you look at what we talked about, it was NBA talk, telenovelas, Mystico, Skebon. We had everything on there. Uh, but yeah, this Skebon is like. Um, yeah, you know, we talked about it a little bit off the show. We're, we're not going to go super in-depth into it, but it's such a unique concept that we kind of left off with before, and I thought it totally played out. Uh, it was a lot of fun to see all of these people that we know from Japanese wrestling and Joshi wrestling and things like that be in this completely new setting that was so uh, – it was definitely off the wall and different, I will say that. And, and there's already going to be a second episode, too, they announced um, in Miami – in December, uh, the home of your favorite basketball team as, as well. Uh, so more, more Unagi here is what we're going to get. I hope, I hope emo Jimmy Butler makes an appearance at Sukeban Miami. He's like, I always thought of him <laughs> as one of my brothers deep down, uh, my long lost <laughs> brothers. And he, he proved himself right now. I'm literally wearing a Mayday Parade shirt. As we, we go. Right now, so, uh, I have huge respect for Jimmy Butler. He's nuts. And uh, the Grizzlies had their like walkthroughs and introductions. So that's a lot of fun there. And before the show, it's worth mentioning something very important. We were going to record a little bit earlier, but I had to I had to take a break because I couldn't do it right then and there because I had to get Chinese food. And you know <laughs> what that means. When I get the Chinese food, you know I got to hit you with that Kung Pao pop right now because that's how i was feeling after watching wrestle dream i did not have kung pao chicken when i ate when i watched wrestle dream but i was in a good mood well i was actually in a really bad mood at the start because the panthers uh, anyone who's a carolina panthers fan you know you feel me you feel my pain out there but uh this show definitely turned it around i mean wow uh you know coming into this and we kind of previewed it before there was a lot going of ups and downs and things like that going on with the show itself. We're wondering what was going to be the main event, what was going to happen. We messaged a little bit saying, man, is it, we, we already kind of had, you know, the rumors were out there. Was Edge going to show up? It, you know, and when they made it the main event, I, I definitely had the idea that that was going to happen. But there was just a lot there. Uh, did you watch any of the Zero Hour stuff? Yeah, I watched the whole zero hour, like even the first 30 minutes. I I even have a note that says fun segment between Stokely and Eddie. <laughs> I watched it all. How was RJ City? Um, I always love RJ City. I feel like they didn't get to do a lot, though. Like they pretty much the first 30 minutes, what they did, like the match intros while they were on the entrance ramp. And then. Him and Renee had some banter, but I feel like he didn't really get to spread his wings fully. Yeah, um, you know, I was really in and out of that. The match that I really cared about was Claudio and Josh Barnett. Uh, 
I absolutely have a lot of love for Josh Barnett. Uh, that's a guy who has been really respectful and shown himself, uh, to, uh, you know, in a great light to me <laughs> personally. Uh, and I'm just a fan of his wrestling anyway. Uh, I loved his match in Noah uh, last month against Masakatsu Funaki. Uh, interesting to see him in these different scenarios. You got a blood sport chant going, which was kind of cool uh, in Seattle. Uh, but of course, Claudio got a big win. You know, that was the first of many John Moxley on commentary appearances, which we're going to talk about a lot more on there. Uh, the other matches, they didn't really stand out too much to me other than by the end of it, I was like kind of confused at <laughs> the Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne match. I mean, this is a, we'll talk about what happened <laughs> in the main event, uh, to say the least, but just, yeah, uh, Claudio and Barnett, it was a good match. The other three were all perfectly fine, but not special. I was very happy to see Diamante get a, get a spot on the card. Yeah, like my, my quick rundown would be um, for the mixed tag, totally stoned matchmaking. Like just when you see it on paper, you're like, <laughs> what? Um, I liked the finishing sequence with Athena getting to hit the O-face on Lee Moriarty. I thought that was a nice inclusion. Then um, Lee hitting the power slam, Kojima hitting the, uh, the lariat. So fun, like fun finishing sequence and just like so surreal to see kojima in the ring like with billy starks you know it's just one of those moments you're like what the fuck is happening um for barnett versus claudio lots of really really great exchanges like um in the beginning it was the um arm bar into knee bar and then claudio gets into the crucifix and like um, the belly to back suplex was incredible, like Barnett throwing Claudio in a way that you very rarely see Claudio thrown or treated or handled, you know, was a powerful image. Yeah. Moxley on commentary starting here. Great. I thought like, I mean, throughout the night, he ended just as much humor as he did tension, um, you know, don't give him your back, Claudio. And then like just all those little things um, were he just helps sell the illusion more, you know? Um, I love the big swing into the toehold. Moxley yeah. saying, I will poop my pants if Josh Barnett taps right now. Um, fantastic finishing sequence. I really liked the, what was it? Punches, kicks, palm strikes, clothesline. And then that um, sneak pin. Really loved the post-match promo by Barnett. Um, I am from Seattle, so... And I moved away in, in December, so this was pretty bittersweet. I had so many friends there, and I was so happy oh, for them. Yeah. I really missed them all, though. Um, so I popped when Barnett, you know, said a boy from Ballard wants to speak. Thought he put him over great. Um, God damn, how was this on the pre-show, really? I think Moxley yeah. said, we're giving this shit away for free. But, like, this was a blood sport main event, like, on your pre-show. I would give this, like, four and a quarter like, I thought it absolutely yeah. did the job. Um, Acclaim versus TMDK, fine. I love, like, it's fun to see the Acclaimed. They're a very successful act in terms of not having to do much in a match. Like, they can really just come out because they have a very full, like, presentation, right? The entrance is part yeah. of it. Uh, the match has your high moments. You have daddy ass. And then the post-match, you're going to get the scissor, right? So just a good way to, like, get the audience in. And then Luchasaurus versus Nick Wayne. Um, I agree. When I, I was like, what was the point of this? And <laughs> to me, like, all I could really imagine, and this was me really having to, you know, justify it in my head, was, like, 
this is almost what like made Nick Wayne decide maybe like I want to be strong like Luchasaurus, right? Or something like I want to be better. Um, so but that that's about it, because I was like, maybe it was a test or something like we don't really know. Um, and then my brain even jumped back to uh, when Luchasaurus was like carrying Nick Wayne into the back and Taz was like, what you got planned for that boy? Um, and I was like, did he, did they plan this <laughs> then? Yeah. It's happened on dynamite a while ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was all, it was all a, a conspiracy against Darby Allen. That yeah. was a part of, uh, I'm sure. I hope they mentioned when he forgave AR Fox, at least, and was like, Oh, you know, what the fuck, man? I'm, I don't want to forgive him. Yep. And, you know, that would at least give us something. Uh, we'll see if his mom is on board with it, though. Uh, you know, based on what we saw at the, in the main event, as we said. So that's a, that's a storyline arc they need to really wrap up, in my opinion. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out real quick. But this might be one of the more Inoki matches on the card because if you think <laughs> about it, it's really just um, a vet beating up his young boy. Yeah, that's pretty much how it turned out. That's by pretty much end. how it turned out. Yeah, and now they're linked. So I'm like, man, it was just, uh, yeah, public I mean, flogging. They, they thought they thought about this deeply. <laughs> this Anoki tribute. Um, that's another reason why I thought Barnett should have been on the main show. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, to because the main show wasn't really anything like Anokiism. And I mean, there was some great wrestling we're about to get into, <laughs> but uh, that would have been the direct link. Uh, you could have, and they did do the like the tribute show uh, to uh, to him, where you know everybody had the scarves on. Uh, they brought the New Japan guy, Shibata was there. Uh, they had like his grandsons there. Yep. Uh, you know, they they showed in the crowd. Where was Simon? Like that. That's that's what I wanted to know. <laughs> like where was Simon and Oki on this show? He should have been given a phone call at least here. But uh, regardless of that, though, uh, that took us to the main show uh, with everything. It was well well done, and I liked it. Uh, and the Barnett and Claudio match was was awesome. You got to check that out. Um, but the show started with the match I was not looking forward to at all, to, to be honest. But it was the Ring of Honor Tag Team Titles match. The Righteous, <laughs> Vincent and Dutch taking on Maxwell Jacob Friedman. And I posted this on Twitter. Uh, this is a deep cut to some people, but this uh, Dutch looked exactly like Senator Armstrong with a beard uh, from Metal Gear Rising uh, in the in the photo they have of his graphic. Uh, so I expected na- some nano machines in play with this match, but we did not get any nano machines on in this match at all. It was all like shtick, pretty much. J- just MJF, you know, you had everything. You had uh, the kangaroo kick played a big part into the match. He shoved him into his ass at one point, which I has never been a part of any gimmick that we have seen to this point of MJF, and I don't think to the righteous. I mean, maybe, that, maybe that's a part of some storyline we don't know about in Ring of Honor, but it was just a shtick match. Yeah, I can um, I can fill you in on all of the uh, righteous but subplot stuff that's been going on basically in Ring of Honor. Hey, no, hey. dude, this sucked. Um, <laughs> the best part of the match was Taz. I wrote these down when MJF grabbed Vincent's nuts. Five on two, through and through. Squeeze <laughs> City. 
the yam bag joke. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, that was like the, the only memorable thing. MJF is totally his whole baby face shtick now we know is one move. And that's what the whole match is centered around, right? These very basic things. And there's definitely something to be said about that in this day and age where, you know, other people will try to get in 45 moves and the match isn't even remembered, right? Um, On the other side, like, it's just not good still. Like, I think there's definitely a way to do these big like build up for a very basic spot white or spot right like will they get it or not and um this was just like total comedy um for a show called wrestle dream that's like in dedication to anoki and to have your world champion do this do you remember that IGF match with like fucking Luke Gallas of all people? And yes. like Anoki comes down mid match and he's like, stop this shit. And he ends the match because he hated it so much. That's what Antonio Anoki, I feel like, would have done during this match. Like, how do you have your world champion on Wrestle Dream represent the world title this way? Um, like, I, if AEW does commit to like a broader pay per view schedule, I don't see why MJF isn't capable of defending. And if anything, I think that that will help them develop their main event scene more. Right. Because in the past, I would say probably since January, if there's like two people that have confidently been promoted to like an upper headed to the main event, I would say Starks and Swerve. Right. Um yeah. And but you can only do so many of those people if you're only doing five title matches a year. Right. And I always think of Noah like is just great because it's like whenever you're a champion, you're going to get a Sigira match, Marafuji, Shiyazaki. And while it is like sort of like the the familiar criminals or whatever, you know, it's like you get those those unique ones. Right. Where like someone new comes in. Um, and they kind of get pushed to that, to that main event scene. Um, so I want more from MJF, God damn it. Uh, and in the end, all I could think was like, what did this do for anyone? Like live crowd loved it. And that's one of those things where I can't totally bury it or whatever. Right. Because like it did its job for the live audience, but this again, it's like with these over, no matter what, AEW pay-per-views, like their biggest negative for me is just like the overbooking of the card in terms of just too many matches. Like eight is such a sweet number. Um, And yeah, just too many matches. And this could have been like your Rampage or even Collision main event the night before. Um, I just I really didn't see the point of this. Uh, you know, it seems like they were investing a lot in the righteous leading up to this. So for them to be treated like and someone was like, well, MJF, he's the ropes at the end. Like that basically like protects uh, them. That was like, no, no, no. And I'm like, no, it protects them after what? After he they got their heads shoved up their asses and kangaroo kicked. Like, come on. Like <laughs> foot on the ropes doesn't negate. Like there's nothing to take seriously about this group anymore whatsoever. Um and so I have no clue what happens to the righteous from here, nor do I really care. Um, and God damn, I just 
I MJF now I just like it's the segments I can skip, you know. Yeah, true. That's the that's the good thing. What did you think of how they handled the setup this match with Cole announcing his injury and then the Jay White promo that he had with MJF and then obviously the ending segment with Jay getting beaten down? I thought I don't know. MJF, right? Calling Jay White tofu. Like that's one of those things where you're like, damn, like that's that's a deep cut one, right? Oh, it's and gonna follow him around. <laughs> like you know that Yes. Gonna- <laughs> yes. And I'm like, okay, on one hand, to me that felt like almost like remember when we talked about like Cena and Rock with like Reigns and fucking Theory? Yeah. And it's just like they find that opening and they go for it. Um, like it's shitty that MJF did that, but yeah. on the flip side, I think it's really up to Jay White to overcome that now. Um, and I think that this will be a very defining chapter in his career. Um, you know, Jay White is someone who can talk, but not exactly with other people, if that makes sense. No, you like, know, it, my problem with that whole segment, not to cut you off, but. No. Uh, first of all, I went 20 minutes, uh, which, uh, you know, going on there. But secondly, so you get this promo from MJF where he put him down the tofu. Uh, great line, probably a little too true, the stuff he was saying that it kind of hurt him. But then Jay's response was like, it was so shallow what he was saying. It was, it's time to breathe with the switchblade because it's still my era. Because I'm King Switch, baby. Bang, bang, gang. It's like all of this stuff. He had like 20 different monikers he's given himself and catchphrases. There was no real comeback to that. It was just he was just saying his catchphrases over and over. It's like, what was what was that? And I like the thing is his natural charisma and how he actually performed was good. Like he, you know, he was waving his hands around, was very lively, but the content of what he was saying was literally nothing. And I think that really hurt in comparison to MJF, which it's not like it was golden. You know, it's not like it's the greatest promo we've ever seen, but it was enough to really feel like a good dig that would ideally set up. Uh, you know, thinking back to the very beginning of the year, do you remember the promo he caught on Takeshita? where he was being, like, racist kind of against him. And then Takeshita came back with, like, you know, you're an asshole. And, like, the whole crowd popped. Like, MJF's whole promo was cutting, but it was ultimately only to set up Takeshita's comeback, which got even more over because of what MJF said. Here, this promo could have set up Jay to actually come back with something heartfelt or at least thoughtful. And he would have gotten even more over because of it. But instead, he just kind of went back to his stuff that was like it feels it feels like it's something very comfortable for him to say. It wasn't anything very special. Yeah, like he had an opportunity to say something back. And it yeah. felt very much like MGF went free form off the cuff, just eviscerated him. And then like Jay White, instead of doing something about it or making it again feel like a conversation just felt like he performed a yeah, script. Great point. Yeah, exactly. And it was almost like it made it feel like they were almost in different scenes. Like MJF was able to talk and Jay White was only able to perform. 
Um, and I think that that's like I said, if this is the direction they're going, um, like, I mean, you're going to have it's going to be interesting because MJF essentially has no one in his corner anymore. And assuming that, you know, Bullet Club Gold goes with Jay White in this feud, I'm interested to see how this sort of balances itself out with the numbers game. Um, but yeah. maybe they don't really involve juice through the guns. Who knows? Um, and plus, uh, well, we, and the closing angle, well, well, you know, may be something to. Uh, yeah. OK, so, uh, dude, my brain's like it's cold and the whole injury thing's fake. Yeah, and that would kind of make sense considering, you know, and this. I first of all, I have to say, I wasn't a fan of the promo segment with Jay and MJF, but I loved the ending angle, like how they set it up. Jay is just getting his ass kicked backstage. But the thing about it that made it so great was how often is it on Dynamite or any AEW show or any wrestling show really, where we have a cliffhanger ending, a mystery that we're supposed to solve, something to look forward to, it's like we're going to find out the answers in the coming weeks. And it's something that AEW fans specifically, and really any wrestling fans, I mean, we saw it, uh, you know, rest in peace, but Bray Wyatt, when he came back, remember when he had the stuff uh, with, like, the secrets and the, the bunnies and stuff like that he was going with, and there were all these mysteries that people went out and solved? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this here, I knew that the fans would, like, dig into this, and you already saw, saw people on social media where they brought back something from, like, literally two months ago where they so showed Adam Cole in the locker room with the devil mask in his locker next to MJF, where he was in Cole's locker. Like, so that's something that I just, I love that they actually did that because it gives us something to look forward to and like interesting to try to dig into, which I really liked. Yeah. Um, I just, they got to be pulling the trigger on it soon. I hope. You're right. I think this is something that probably needs to be drug out for a while. But I do think, I mean, they've got a little while until uh, year. So, like, if you give us two or three weeks of trying to figure out who the hell was that that beat down Jay, uh, MJF kind of cut a promo on this show where he was like, that was an imposter. That wasn't me. Like, And it obviously wasn't. <laughs> you look at, at the, the segment that happened. But did, did you also think at first it was like, oh, shit. Ali's bringing retribution again in AEW with this because they had the same outfits on and then they finally turned up. I thought it might be uh, the original like OG Japan club, uh, Finlay and and uh, all of those guys. Like I thought that would be an interesting way to kind of do this storyline that has gone dormant for the most part. I never really had a conclusion. Maybe set him like. Finley versus Jay for the dome, and maybe Jay could beat Finley in AEW. Or something. That was an idea I had. Um, yeah, like I mean, Jay's whole thing was like he is not wrestling in New Japan anymore, right? Or at least has not since he like lost to Kingston. That's true. Like I mean, obviously, never say never. It's pro wrestling edge just debuted in fucking AEW, so. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, um, it's just like whoever this is, I feel like they have to be involved in this world title feud some way, because if you start this program between MJF and Jay White 
and then you're going to separate them to full gear or now take them both in separate directions. Like I just like, to me, I'm like the war dogs. I just like, obviously it would be make sense, whatever, but it's just, um, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. What you said is the best option for the story that they've told thus far with MJF and, and whatnot. I feel like he missed a golden opportunity to have Strong jump into the title match and take his best friend's place uh, and do something there to kind of kind of go in the direction where I said last week or last episode where I wanted the storyline to get a little bit more grounded, you know, get away from all of this so over the top stuff to where you could have him fight for his best friend, even with somebody he hates. And then maybe MJF and Strong actually become friends and Cole gets jealous. Uh, afterwards, I think they really missed a golden opportunity for hijinks that they like, but also bringing it into a better direction. <laughs> but there's also the possibility they do a tag match for these titles where MGF uh, recruits the cardboard cutout of Jay White as his tag team partner. Uh, to, that will even the numbers game between him and, and Bullet Club Gold overall. But it's just like you said, this is the world champion overall. And the thing is, even when I watch this match, when I watch him wrestle in almost all of his matches. I feel kind of the same way, and that is, this, this is a parody. You know, like this isn't even a, a realistic storyline or even a semi-realistic storyline. This man is parodying wrestling so easily, to the point, like you said at the start. I mean, this the start of this match. I'm gonna body slam Dutch. And then, of course, that sets up the whole match to where the crowd is so easily hook, line, and sinker. They're buying in. It's a great thing. But it's not it's not grabbing my heart. You know, it's not making me emotionally invested at all. I just feel like I'm watching a parody of pro wrestling rather than even pro wrestling when he wrestles. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it's definitely a success in terms of like how he's able to give this crazy, you know, live audience gripping story with zero really like build to this in terms of other, you know, the situational aspects of Cole is out and MJF has to defend against these guys. You know, the righteous pretty much try to do all this storytelling stuff. And I feel like, again, all of that really went out the window. Um, should Cole turn on MJF, you know, maybe the, the reason for this is like MJF, right? A two on one handicap. He wanted to, you know, defend the titles that him and his friend won so badly that he was able to fight two other people for it. Right. Like that's really going out of your way. Um, But again, like it's on paper, a lot of these story notes are cool or whatever. The best part that he also was about to kill on his boat, as we saw on Wednesday. Yeah. And it's like, dude, I'm just, I'm over this. And Captain Insano, like, it's uh, just – it's very weird to have so many serious and great wrestlers. And that's not even to say serious because people like Moxley and Starks, yeah. right? Like they have brevity to them. They have – or levity to them. They have um, – they have like humor and they have fully rounded personas. And I feel like MJF, like you said, is just completely in parody territory anymore. And it's like – if I want to watch parody in wrestling, I go to DDT because they do it well. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the point. <laughs> like, it's not the world champion of AEW. Um, but 
regardless, I, I will say too, a, a good a good decision to make this the opener, uh, considering what we were going to have to come in the next rest of the show, pretty much. I think this would have been a real down point if it were, you know, put this after Brian and Zach. And I think that would have been a big mistake. So I'm glad that they got this out of the way early. Um, we go on to the next match with Eddie Kingston defending his Ring of Honor world title and the New Japan Strong Openweight title against Katsuyori Shibata. This is our Enoki uh, reference here with one of his disciples overall. And now this was interesting. What did you think about this match here? Oh, I give MJF and the Righteous one and a half stars. I give this four and a quarter as well. I enjoyed it a lot. They hit all of the great, strong style storytelling beats, um, the suplex exchanges, the whole last sequence. Um, I love how... Eddie is incorporating the um, the power bomb now as his finisher. Kawada disrespecting him, or not, Shibata disrespecting Eddie with the Kawada kicks. Um, just lots of cool moments, and the post match I thought was great. Like when they hit Shibata's music, and you could see him visibly react to it. Um, it's just like you know, again for the guy who we thought all thought would never wrestle again. I. Pretty much always love when Katsuyori Shibata wrestles, and I'm very grateful for it. So I, I enjoyed this a lot. What about you? Oh, yeah. This was a ton of fun. I loved uh, Shibata coming in there. A lot of submission stuff early on as well. And then there was a spot, part where you just saw him kick the crap out of him, hit the big drop kick in the corner. The fans were chanting for Shibata. I thought it was awesome. Uh, Shibata hit the STO, a shout out to Naoya Ogawa, uh, at one point as well. And they were kind of calling back on a lot of, a lot of these moves where he, he learned under Anoki and in New Japan, obviously none more so than the Manji Gatame, uh, which is like, you know, octopus hold. Uh, so they did a lot of good stuff there. Kingston brought his love into things too. And I thought he added a lot. Obviously he's more known as an all Japan fan, but I thought it worked. And in the end, uh, you know, you, you got the big moment with the Northern lights bomb and the back fist to get the win. And like you said, very nice ending segment with Shibata getting the spotlight at the end. I'm sure Eddie was happy to give him that rub and the fans were totally buying along with it. I thought all of this worked really well. And I liked what we saw, uh, overall. So it was a really good match. I thought. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, cage match, uh, the first match got a 5.28, uh, MJF and the Righteous, and this got a 7.32 here. So uh, 5.28 is fucking gracious, dude. That is, that is. <laughs> Should have been 2.58. Oh, my God, <laughs> I, dude. I, I think I would have given it there. Yeah, that's more like a one. Someone you gave know, this a I, nine. I need to find the nine review. Oh, no. What have you done, cage match? Someone gave it a zero as well, so good for good for him or her. Whoever gave that nine, uh, that zero, good stuff. The people that voted five or below don't understand what professional wrestling is. <laughs> Eight out of ten. I guess I just don't know. <laughs> uh, we've lost the plot. We just don't get this. We we don't understand the vision of this. 
You know, it's like, you know, we were talking about Sukabot earlier. I just didn't understand the vision of putting, you know, Tomoka Inaba in this cat uh, latex outfit. It's it's not because they're wrong. It's because I don't understand the vision. And that's what I think we missed in this match as well. <laughs> but uh, Kingston Shibata, definitely, definitely the better match. I think we can all, all sensible people can agree. They set up the, a big video package all about Julia Hart and bringing up that the last person she actually lost to was Chris Statlander. So that makes sense. Uh, Hart comes out with Brody King in her corner. That's been a, a pair that got a lot of rub lately. <laughs> a lot of people really into Julia Hart here. And the fans, I, I don't want to say they turned against that, but they were really on Hart's side here. And uh, they, they showed that they wanted to do things uh, going in there. Um, and they kind of went to build the match all around her going for the moonsault. And uh, she did hit it, but it was only a near fall. Uh, Statlander showed her power and ended up uh, countering the Heartless and getting out of it and hitting the Sunday Night Fever uh, to come in. Uh, what did you think? I thought this was awesome. Honestly, I was really excited for this. The storytelling and like um, callbacks they've done haven't only like given this a lot of you know energy. But they've established this as, you know, a rivalry in the women's division now that stat is a hill that Hart needs to climb and conquer eventually. Right. Um, So much like how they positioned Jade beforehand and other people, you know, trying to conquer that. Like now you have people who are, you know, opposed to stat Um, really just like. If you look at the growth of Julia Hart from when she came into now, like she has completely um, leaned into and like embraced everything that they have given her. Um, I thought her character work was great. And all the same can be said about Statlander as well. Honestly, Julia came in as a cheerleader. Stat came in as, you know, her indie gimmick, which is an alien that boops people on the nose. <laughs> And these two could not be further from it now. Like Stat is a legit prize fighting champion with solid personality. What the defeater of the undefeated is a really great um, uh, moniker. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that they've been able to make her into a persona very well. And Julia Hart is a fantastic character in the House of Black. Um, and they just they worked a good match. Like overall, like I, I thought that this was a very good match. Um, and I'm really enjoying stats TBS run currently. I thought this was the standout. Or one of the standout performances, really, because obviously uh, her versus Jade had to be one of Jade's best matches uh, that she had had. Mm-hmm. But then you get a match here with Julia again, probably her best match to date. Uh, I was I have to admit, I was a little cold on stat coming in to her winning the title. Um, I wasn't that necessarily into her overall, but as time has gone along, I think she's really growing into this role uh, that you mentioned as well, just as a worker as well. And against somebody, again, Julia Hart is just scratching the surface of her career in the ring here. Yeah. Uh, and that's a great thing about you see that you saw the crowd reaction the character with Julia's great Brody and her have a great dynamic as well um, you know again the, the crowd kind of 
didn't give Stat a lot of love. They were more on Hart's side, but still, I thought she really held up her end of the bargain with the wrestling itself uh, overall. Uh, so I really liked this. I thought it was definitely a good match and overachieved in my opinion because, you know, a lot of the women's matches in AEW haven't been great. And Julia Hart's still really new to the to the table, and I thought they did a great job overall here. And they didn't, you know, they didn't try to make this anything more than it was. You know, like as a wrestling match, you're not going to compare it to a Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. But for a nine minute match, I thought this was like perfect for its role, and I thought it it helped ele- continue the elevation of the TBS title. Yep. Um, and, you know, in the last pay-per-view and this one, especially with the TNT in the main event and no women's title presence, even on the show whatsoever in terms of your, yeah. you know, world champion. But um, I think what we're seeing now with a W that is kind of interesting is uh, we're seeing like there isn't so much a hierarchy to their world titles as it now feels like they're becoming divisions and kind of like, you know, your your world titles are going to be very, very storyline entrenched gimmicks, right? Typically gimmick matches, especially in the fucking world title. Um, and then like your like TNT, that division has always featured like pretty much the same faces. I feel like for a while now in terms of your Darby's, Joe, Christian, Lucha, Wardlow, uh, Hobbs, like it was very much the meat title for a bit. And then the international title is like a workhorse, you know, trophy where anyone can really factor in. And um, so I don't know. It's just it's just interesting how like Soraya's title doesn't necessarily, for me at least, feel above stats TBS title. They just feel like different divisions and different, you know, characters pooling in and out. So I liked it a lot. The one thing I think that the title needs is to actually be on TBS. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, that's the thing. That's the only thing Soraya has going for over her is that they give her a lot more time on Dynamite than Stat does. And and if they even it out a little bit more, there's no question that Stat has more to offer as a champion than Soraya to to me. Uh, We'll see what they're going to do. They have the big Tuesday show uh, coming up and, um, we're going to see what happens with Soraya and Sheeta. I said as soon as she won that title, go back and listen to the show we did after All In. This title reign is all about building to her Mercedes, <laughs> like coming in to face Soraya. And maybe it'll be different. Maybe they'll pull the plug early. But that's still what I feel, even though I, I wish Sheeta would get the title and I wish Stat would get more. But I think they're going to continue putting their eggs into that basket until we get to that Mercedes match. But uh, regardless, good match, though. Very good work from uh, both Statlander and Hart here. So good stuff there. And they go to the number one contendership match for the tag team titles. Who was going to face FTR? We had the Guns, Hook and Orange Cassidy, the Lucha Brothers, and the Young Bucks themselves. Uh, So a big part of this match was that uh, Phoenix got hurt. And uh, that left Penta on his own, and that set up the finish uh, by the end. I mean, there was a lot that happened, but by the end, it set up the Bucks (laughs) 
uh, double teaming Penta uh, to get the win here. Very short match though, with uh, you know only 12 minutes for an eight-man match. Uh, but there was a lot that happened here. Uh, they went a little crazy overall. You had a hook in a big portion of this match where he was kind of like the monster of the match. Like he would just beat up everybody and look invincible and things like that. Uh, red rubs all around. And but in the end, the Young Bucks got the match to set up. The Bucks versus FTR once again. What did you think about this? Um, like some good little storyline stuff in terms of, you know, it sets up Nick and Phoenix for Wednesday. Uh, Bucks versus FTR, I you know, is a easy to go to match. Um, it's not one I really have an interest in seeing again already. Um, but like overall, like like you said, good show for Hook as well. Um, my favorite part is when the guns try to pin each other. I did love that. Um, and then they were like yelling at the ref, like, just count it, just count it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but man, like this is one of those matches on the show where I'm like, this is not, this did not need to be on the pay-per-view. Oh, you totally. know? And I think that AEW really has that inclination to create matches simply to get names on the show but I think that that comes at the cost of the, you know, prominent and meaningful matches on the show. Um, you know, I think you absolutely could have transitioned from Stat and Hart into Swerve and Adam Page. I don't think there is any need for an eight-man tag, 12 minutes. That was longer. That's the – even then, like, you're, you know, short for an eight-man tag, but that's the longest match on the show so far. Yeah. And I mean, and that's out of an Eddie Kingston versus Shibata and a TBS title match where it's like, you know, I think that you could have given each of those a couple more minutes and that would have been really cool as well. Um, so, yeah, like this was into like in terms of these matches now, like every every pay-per-view we talk about them. Right. And I I feel like my interest in them has just completely waned where it's like I just I feel like I tune out. Because I know that these shows are crazy long. Like by the end of this, it was, if you watch the Zero Hour, a five-hour show, right? And um, so like I feel like these pay-per-views have pretty much taught me like, hey, conserve your energy because this is of no consequence. Yeah. And that's very much what this match was. Um, And maybe that's another thing is to pat it out. But fuck it, man. I'm over it. Um, like I'd give this a two, just really nothing, nothing, nothing special meaningful. About it. And again, like if you put this on an episode of television, right? Um, I think you are able to make it feel more special. You could have interactions between the teams all night and lean into a main event. But for something like this, if it doesn't feel special, then you sh- don't need to do it, right? You can make anything feel special. So. At least it was better than the the singles fatal four way they had on, on Dynamite. I would say. Oh my god! Yeah, I didn't like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> destroyer, destroyer, destroyer. And I think uh, Penta did his pose like twenty five times in that match oh as well. <laughs> so, so it was that match was rough. Mamma was watching that and she just shook her head and she was like, keep in mind this is somebody who had never watched wrestling before like a few years ago in 65 years or whatever, how old she was then. Uh, she shook her head and was like, I didn't like it. 
it was too choreographed <laughs> there. Uh, so very interesting there. No, nobody liked that four-way on Dynamite, I don't think. This was better than that, but like everything you said was totally true. <laughs> there was no reason for this to be on the pay-per-view. It didn't add anything. It's nothing we haven't seen before. I mean, you know, outside of a few s- spots that were kind of clever, like you said, the, the pin spot on the guns, but nothing special about this. And uh, it just, like you said, ultimately just wasted time on the show for what was to come, which was a much better match, which was Swerve Strickland versus Hangman Page. And I, first of all, I need to say, I thought their promo was totally deserving of being in the main event of Dynamite, their contract signing. I loved all of the comebacks from Hangman that he was saying about Swerve's big put down of him a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Even uh, got to you know air his grievances with a certain uh, wrestler that may have been le- may have left the company in recent weeks. Uh, it felt like in that segment. But he came across so realistic, so natural. He felt like he believed all the stuff he was saying. Uh, you know, had great lines in there about, you know, I, if it's raining on me, like, God willing, I'm not holding up the umbrella. I thought that was a great line that, that he had. And Swerve was just great as a despicable heel. While also at the same time, bigging up Seattle, which was like that was a big, big part of this whole feud. And it totally paid off. And also, he took a shot at uh, Russell Wilson, a total fraud, uh, as well. So good, good job there. <laughs> uh, and he was able to do that. But the crowd was totally with Strickland uh, here, and I like that Page. He really tried to go into more of a vicious side, still bringing back to that promo segment where he stabbed him in the hand with the pin. They kept that up here, which I, I really like that uh, in there. Swerve, I mean, you had everything. In this match, too. They had a lot of big moves. Like, they, they were going back uh, up and down. Uh, he tried to go for the dead eye on the apron. Um, but they countered it. And it looked like he wasn't going to do it. But then he went to the steps and did it. And it was great. Uh, you know, going in there. And then I loved how it was such a great tactic in this situation where he hit the uh, Omori driver on the steps. But it did, it, when he went him into, when he sent him into the ring, he didn't go for the pin. He like immediately started to stomp on him and attack him. And I was like, yes, when that <laughs> happened, like that was really good. Um, Swerve came back with his uh, coming in there. Uh, they tried to do the buckshot lariat, but he countered it, uh, injuring the arm. Uh, the doctor came in to do something and set something up with Paige, but then Swerve just came in with a stomp on the apron. Uh, they did a 450 into the onto the arm. I uh, love the arm work there. Uh, they came in there. Page fought back on the hand. So it was an arm versus hand match. <laughs> I really loved that. Prince Nana interfered at one point. But uh, in the end, uh, the ref was distracted uh, multiple times, actually. But he ended up grabbing the crown and, uh, you know, Prince Nana's crown and attacking him. Hit the JML driver. And Swerve got the win. Super smooth finish um, when they did the crown spot, just because the way that Nana did it, and I really, really liked this, is when – what's the, the – the referee's name was like Paul something, right? Yeah, Paul Turner. 
Paul Turner, he starts yelling at Nana and Nana, you know, holds his head like, oh, my God. And he basically like takes off his crown like, I can't believe this. Like, it's like that cartoonish like reaction. Throw his hat down. Yes, it was done in a way where it really did not call attention to it in the sense of like the to me, it was like about he was able to sort of mask the crown is part of him getting kicked out, right? And the second he's up there, and then you can see he's stalling Turner, and then you're like, oh, shit. And then you, like, just swerve had it right then. I thought that was – um, it made me think of Wardlow in the uh, dog collar match, just when they're – when you're able to pull off a weapon spot like that super smoothly, I'm a very, very big fan of it to incorporate it in a natural way that doesn't feel super gimmicky. Um I loved this. It's it. This is sort of a tangent, but like, okay, Barnett, Claudio, right? Four and a quarter. I give this like four and a half stars. And it almost feels like there is a ceiling between like four and a quarter and then like four and a half and up. Like that's when I feel like those are the matches that I will remember from the year. Right below it. It's kind of like, these are like the, like really like, these are great matches still, but I'm like, this is something when I come back to the year, I'm like, oh, yeah, Barnett fought Claudio. That was sick. But, like, this was a canon event. This was great. Um, for, like, Paige was the perfect opponent for Swerve here. Um, he put on a master class in – I tweeted this, but, like, a master class in just constructing a showcase for Swerve. Um, he played his part great in terms of, you know – having to switch heel in uh in swerve's hometown um you know my friend savannah was there they were screaming two five three before swerve even came out tacoma represent um i don't know man i love this i really really loved it like i think a lot of people coming in felt like this was going to be the match that really elevated swerve to that next level i thought that they did a great job of that um it was brutal it was page at his best like because page is so good at being like you know the sort of classic aew baby face like complicated and but like can do any sort of fight or brawl like he's really one of those baby faces that we lack in wwe in terms of not being a baby face and also a total dipshit Right. So it's just one of those things where I'm like, I love it. I love it. Like, you know, he's not dumb. He's he stands up for himself, all these things. And um, yeah, great, great match. This is uh, definitely, I mean, one of the top three on the show for me. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> um, the only thing I didn't like, I have to say, hearing you talk about it. Makes me appreciate the finish a little bit more, because when I when it happened at first, I thought, ah oh, man, after all of this and you got the crowd so hot, and you you know you do this kind of lame finish, but hearing you explain it, I actually I think I like it a little bit more now after hearing you talk about it. Uh, I thought they did it, and the rest of the match I thought was excellent. <laughs> um, I've said it before. I think when people think of AEW and great matches. It's always natural for the first person they think of to, to say Omega. But I think if you look at just their AEW runs, to me, Paige, he, he's been a part of like tons of the best matches 
in the company's history <laughs> until Brian Anderson came around, <laughs> pretty much, because the whole list has to be rewritten now uh, because of him. But I think Paige really is one of the absolute hearts and souls of the company. He can make people look good in any situation. He can wrestle good in any situation. Great hard-hitting offense, like you said, uh, the character that really vibes the aesthetic of AEW as a whole and the fan base of AEW. That's why the fans connect with him so well is because he's so believable. Um, That Swerve is just a a great – everything he does is just fantastic to me. I I love his his act. Him and Nana is a great pairing. I think Nana definitely adds a lot to him. Uh, I think that the crowd was so into him here that it made him seem like even an even bigger star. <laughs> For somebody that, let's face it, he doesn't have any big wins in the company. Like He didn't have any of those coming into this match, but they still treated him like a superstar player, and now he got this big win. They have something on their hands with the Swerve Strickland push, and I hope that they continue going around with it because, man, uh, this guy... I, I really, really see a lot. I think he should be a main event, and he should be a main event there. You cut out on that last part, Dylan. Oh, um, sorry. Just to repeat, um, he can work with anybody in any different style. He should be a complete main event player from this point forward, in, in my opinion. To me, totally agree. He's the person that can, and this is no disrespect to Phoenix, but Phoenix is also fucking injured. He should beat Phoenix on Title Tuesday. Yeah, that would be perfect. Because I, as we've come to know, your you know international title is a big title in this company, right? And I think that he's someone that you can put that spotlight on. Also, I should say Orange Cassidy was definitely proven as a main event player this year as well. Yeah, OC, Starks, and Swerve. And I think that Swerve holding that title for a while can essentially be, you know, that big final step. And I only say that because, to me, he's ready to win the world title. But, you know, for whatever reason, they're so obsessed with MJF and feels like continuing this it's very much hit the reins level of like, I'm not invested in these world title matches as much because it feels like they're just trying to continue the reign to where they're trying to get now rather than having it feel like an organic journey, you know? Um, so I would love for there to be that really prominent international title, you know, holder again. That's a great point. And you bringing up OC is exactly one of my fears because he had a great run, but look at what, look at how they followed it up after he's lost the title. Uh, he feels like he's right back almost where he was before he title. And that's a, a real shame considering so much went into that title reign. And I don't think they've carried along the momentum that they could have had here. And, and maybe that will, maybe they just did this tag thing for a month and maybe they'll go somewhere else with it. But I, I do think that they could have done a lot more uh, coming out of that loss to to Moxley. Interesting. Okay. So for me, like I can see that, but it almost feels like once OC lost that title, right? He kind of got put permanently to me. If that next level, the level of like an Adam Page or someone like that, right? Yeah. Where it's kind of, you know, 
they're going to have a pay-per-view match where they're fighting a big money Matt Hardy for fucking, what is it? Quarterly salary. Oh, but, no. and it's like, you don't like, they can sort of drop out at times, or at least for me at this point, right? Like we just saw OC every single week and it storyline wise too. It almost feels sense to me that like that hasn't been sustained as much. Yeah. Like it, it, it has been relaxed. Um, but like, again, I think it's just because there's certain people in the company, you know, like a page, especially. And because to me, I'm like, what was page doing before this? And it's like, he was in the six man with Kenny and there was really no reason for him to be in that other than like, you know, he's just in the six man with them. And then before that, it was the, uh, the big elite versus BCC, but for me, he didn't really feel like a big time player in that. I feel like the last time Paige really felt like a prominent player with like a sustained push was probably his feud with Moxley. Because once it became elite, he kind of felt like the, you know, like the additional man again, where he didn't feel as included. Yeah. He's always puts on the show, though. Right. So I feel like AEW, they don't necessarily have to sustain these pushes so much because with a lot of these guys, it's like, you know, you can throw Kingston into somewhere, right? Like him and Punk, remember? And it's like a, a week before Kingston's like, I hate yeah. you, Phil. And you're like, boom, I'm sold. And it's just um, kind of being on their level, I guess, right? I think they can be used whenever they need to be because mm-hmm. they've earned that position, I guess. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that? I hope you're right because I think he earned it. <laughs> uh, I, I just... I remember us talking about that match afterwards, and that was my gripe. And again, it's it's still a minor gripe, you know. And obviously, nobody could, could have predicted the injury. But where would we have been if OC had won, like had beaten Moxley right now, and had won the title, and we wouldn't have had to deal with injuries, uh, God willing, uh, and the title? I I don't know. I, I I really think that they had more to gain from him moving up. Mm. And maybe you're right that he did ultimately. He's he earned that spot and now he's just there. He's solidified. Maybe he is, but I don't feel that way when I see him teaming in the random four way match with, with Hook overall. And hey, the world champions in a handicap match. So you know who's who's to say with looking <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, you know you might not be able to hold it against them. I would like to see more from him. I'd like to see some kind of story arc for him. And maybe when the time comes, they're just gonna pick their spot. Somewhat like Swerve, again, where he he really was still – people were just memeing about that Keith Lee feud that never ended. Uh, that had been going on for months and months and months. And now with this, he definitely feels like a main event player. He feels like he's solidified, and, and I hope that that's how it plays out uh, overall. And Hangman I definitely think is you know very much up there. Uh, and hopefully now that things have turned around in the backstage environment and everything with him, he's clearly in a good spot. Uh, there and I, I think that there's still a lot more to come for him but right now Swerve totally deserved the win and, and I hope that we can see him do something else going forward because I just, I just want to see this guy on my TV whether it's wrestling or on promos as much as possible we yeah. we ended up going <laughs> back and recapping uh, Ricky Starks and Wheeler Utah Yuta called him out in a promo backstage and, you know, questioned why he didn't show respect after he lost to Brian Danielson. And so that set up this match here. Moxley's back. 
on on commentary here. This was fun. Like this is a good match. It's just the problem with this ultimately was what what purpose did this match serve in the context of this pay per view? Ultimately, it was like the I think I tweeted this, but Great Voyage 2000 Takao Mori versus Shinya Hashimoto. It's just like, why are they fighting? And we're just going to have them fight. And they just beat the shit out of each other for 10 minutes. And I loved it, honestly. And, like, looking even at Cage Match 6.18, people are hard on Yuta on Cage Match. What the fuck? And um, <laughs> I love I love Yuta. I love Yuta, too. He's one of my faves. Um, I thought this was great. Like, um, it seems really like the main complaint for people is, why was this on the card? But I can tell you that... To me, this had a lot more reasoning to be on the card than your number one contendership four-way, your handicap ROH tag title match, even your AEW world tag tag team match. I'm like, you could have taken those out and have this been more of a singles match show. I would have loved it Um, because, again, like this match felt more at least spiritually aligned than a lot of the other stuff, right? Um, especially on a tribute show to Inoki. But I don't know. To me, this just felt like um, your classic young boys match, right? And Starks essentially, you know, because Wheeler's whole thing is he's like, I take the whippings, all this shit, right? Like, I can handle it. I get back up. But at that same time, what he's kind of doing is relegating himself to that young boy position. And I feel like Starks is trying to, you know, put himself above it. And this is, again, this is my own subjective reading. So Starks had to win to kind of distance himself from that identity that you just trying to almost push on him. Right. Like you have more. T- you can respect for learn these guys and Starks whole thing is what I'm absolute. I am complete. Right. Like this is the fucking total package. Um, so it seems like this resistance to. I don't know that that whole notion of just like you, you could learn more, I guess, like maybe it's almost like you deserves is like a potential ego death in a way. I like that reading, and I think there was definitely one good thing on this, and that's that I like that Ricky got a big win here on a pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, he's taken losses to Brian Danielson in great matches, no doubt about that. But I like seeing him consistently again. The same thing I said about uh, Swerve coming up. Maybe this wasn't a great A spot on the card. But he's being consistently featured pretty much every week. And now you're getting a big win on a pay-per-view. So I like that they continually got him around. Yuta, I'm a big fan of. I, I disagree with the inmates. If there's a negative sentiment towards Wheeler Yuta. Uh, he is my guy. Uh, I will admit that, but still, I think that he, you know he's a really talented wrestler up and down. I love the impact that uh, Moxley made on commentary as well. Just so fun to listen to, uh, so believable that he's just shooting, you know, shooting the shit here, uh, talking about wrestling. And I thought he totally added something to the commentary team as well. I think the match took a step down for me when Big Bill came out uh, overall. Um, oh. And I did like how they were like, oh, man, <laughs> like Big Bill was the game changer of this match. 
a big difference maker. And Moxley was just like, well, really, he didn't do that much. Yeah, he, he, he just shoved him into the thing. So it was good uh, overall. Yeah, not a super long match. It didn't overstay his welcome. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, definitely worth a, a watch. Uh, but definitely, you know, when you're comparing it to the big, big matches of this show, it definitely wasn't on that level. But for an, you know a mid card match like this, kind of a buffer, I thought it was perfectly good, uh, and I liked what we saw between the two, and I'm glad Ricky got the win. So Mox stays there; uh, he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, because he needed to commentate the other BCC members match on this show: Brian Danielson versus Zach Saber Jr. So, first of all, there's one, and perhaps only one, <laughs> major flaw with this match that I'm going to get out of the way right away. Why wasn't the TV title on the line? 15-minute time limit, right? Yeah, that big block of gold. But that, it would, it, w- it could only be 15 minutes. Or is that – because that's the time limit, right? Are you yeah. saying you would have liked the 15-minute draw? No. I just want Brian to get titles. <laughs> like by any means necessary. I don't care why or what it is or how ugly the belt is or if there's a time limit. I just want Brian to get the roses he refuses to politic himself into, which is such a shame because he's the one guy who deserves it. But he's just too unselfish here. But still, uh, he didn't get the win here in, in this match, at least. And man, was I, this match was so so good. Uh, man, I loved it. I really. It's funny because both have been labeled as the dream matches of the year. But <clears throat> well, I guess you know there's been a lot more. But I cannot currently choose between this Danielson and Saber or Kento versus Nakajima as my match of the year. Um, this was magical pro wrestling. This is everything you can hope for as a fan. Um, you know, when we talked about Danielson and Okada and how it quite didn't hit those levels that we were necessarily hoping for. And for, you know, numerous reasons, pretty much. Um, but damn, did this even exceed my expectations in a way? And, you know, the ending with the Busaiku knee, I was kind of like, damn, they didn't get the, the submission, but it's very obvious why they did that. This has got to be a trilogy. You know, it doesn't need to be a one-off. And for what it was is the initial meeting since what, 2008. Um, fuck man, this was great. Like this was really, really great. I'm pretty sure Nigel showed it, shouted out Volcon during this. It I was, totally mentioned that. I, I noted that yep. as well. I love that so much. Yep. Moxley and Nigel on commentary also where if you took them off commentary for this match, I think you would lose a big element as well. Um, Like I really, I really think that this was all of the elements played well. You had a very respectful, patient and observant Seattle crowd, you know, like Saber would always make fun of this, right? He said like, you know, Doing technical wrestling in America is like trying to get people from Alabama to watch Shakespeare or some shit, right? That's what he would say or whatever. And he'd be like, um, but like this, this audience gave them everything. And the, you know, 
the difference between Nigel, who's literally standing up, oh, I want to say it, retire now, Danielson, and just, and then Moxley, God bless him, who is holding his mic, trying to block his cursing, it's getting picked up, and then he's just wearing it around his neck, the headset, you can hear it, fuck that, fuck him up, Brian, like, you know, and both of them, like, having corners in wrestling is you know, and I feel like there's a difference between a lot of managers, right? Like a Jake the Snake with a Lance Archer, uh, yeah. Tolly with FTR. Like they feel like they're being paired for like mouthpiece reasons or whatever. But you said it great earlier when like Nana and Swerve make a great pairing because they yeah. feel like a duo, right? And I think that that's maybe why Nana's um crown thing didn't bother me as much because they are very much a package right like nana really pulled swerve out of obscurity and vice versa um i feel like they really were the key to each other working like the the embassy needed swerve and swerve needed nana to like really just i don't know make him feel like a fucking kingpin style guy i love it um and uh but yeah man danielson versus saber it's definitely i mean i just say like it's one of my two matches of the year you know it was beautiful so many great exchanges um zach just looked fucking phenomenal and i think that that's i knew danielson would put all the stops but i was very very excited to see what saber did and like damn he is – I really hope he wins the title, the IWGB title at some point. I don't I don't know if he will. Like, you know what? You just feel it. Like, I feel like he's maybe one of those guys who just won't get it. But, like, y'all gave it an evil, dude. ZSJ deserves it so much more because, in my opinion, too, Sabre has done way more and has shown up way more for New Japan than an Osprey has. Especially now. Like, Osprey's practically an AEW, like, competitor at this point, always on these big shows. And Zach has been the dude as a foreigner for New Japan. So, I get where you're coming from that. I totally agree with what you were saying about Nigel. <laughs> he was awesome in this match so much. Uh, I remember the part, <laughs> remember when Zach had him in the, <laughs> like, the double armbar and everything. And he mm. was just screaming out. He was like... Retire. Think about your <laughs> wife. Think about your kids. You have. And he's saying it in such a snarky way. Think about your wife, Brian. <laughs> like just fucking. And, and then as soon as he gets to the ropes, though, he says, "You coward." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was so fun. Like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> Moxley, like you said, was letting it all fly out. Uh, whatever fines he was getting, whatever was good. I love even at the end too, after the match where uh, he won with the big knee strikes. And like you said, not the submission that everybody thought or whatever, uh, you know, but Saber, he tried to give the handshake, but Zach turned it down. And then Nigel was like, well, he didn't win with technical wrestling. So he's not really the best in the world <laughs> on there. So uh, I, I, lo- I loved all of that. And Brian, just a masterclass. Like all, all of his matches are matches of the year level. It feels like this year, like no, no matter what he does, he cannot miss. He seems just last month I thought him and Starks was a match of the year 
candidate, and now he's topped himself once again with this match. I mean, this this Brian Danielson, this run is prolific in my opinion for a major company, WWE, WCW back in the old days or AEW. I mean, this is nobody has done it on this level with the consistency that he's had uh, from the start, and I just. I just I loved him in this match so much. And Zach was great. Uh, he did a great job as well. And like you said, great representative for New Japan. Totally deserves all the love that he gets as well. Uh, but nobody can beat Brian. No matter how great you may be, uh, nobody can beat Brian Danielson in this wrestling game. I mean, he's just unbelievable as a performer. Uh, this to me was my match of the night, uh, and one of my matches of the year. <laughs> To bring up Kento and Nakajima, the one thing that has over this is that that was a real life feud. Like, you know, like that had actual animosity into it, and that kind of made the stakes of the match that much higher. This was ultimately a great, great, great match. But it was a dream match, quote unquote, which is great in its own way. But there wasn't like real heat that we saw get settled or miraculous stories or a sellout right away or anything like that. This was just for the fans to show that, hey, we have two of the best wrestlers in the world at this style. And by God, we're going to put them in in there with each other and we are going to let these people cook. And man, just a fantastic match overall. 9.64 rating on cage match, which has to be up there uh, with the highest rated matches of the year. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think like anyone else I would even put. I'm like, who would be in a wrestler of the year conversation? I would say like, you know, Danielson. And then for me personally, Nakajima, Brooks, Keno's first half of the year with all the tag title shit was great. I don't know. I'm, I'm tangenting now, but this was great. And um, I don't know. I mean, this had like, I would say that this had the same heat maybe not the same, but, you know, that same sort of heat is the Kento Nakajima, um, you know, Danielson with his usual shtick of I'm going to kick his head in, I'm the best. But Sater came into this with really having to prove something, you know, and maybe it wasn't as expressed as much as it, it was just like, you know, you're fighting the guy who is named after the award you've won like the past decade. Right. And, and like they said, it's like, are they going to have to rename the award? And for Danielson at the beginning of the match, you can tell he's in his hometown. He's smiling. This is like, I'm living my dream. This is my last year. Right. And Sabre's like, this isn't a game for me, dude. Like, this isn't some dream match. This is like my legacy, you know? Yeah. And um, Good point. so I think that's what, um, you know, they really complimented each other in terms of Danielson really his genuine excitement coming through and to see that after he talked about feeling nothing at WrestleMania is such a special thing. Yeah. Um, and Saber was vicious. Um, oh, yeah, he know, was- I thought he did great in the role. So, um, but yeah, I agree though. Kento and Nakajima absolutely did have way, way more heat, but I think they really pulled it off in, in terms of the storytelling here for me. Second only to Omega and Osprey at the Dome this year, according to Cage Match. Wow. We'll see. Like we're gonna see how how it plays out, where it goes. Could it go up? Could it go down? 
Everyone, review bomb, Osprey and Omega. Let's get Daniel Simmons at Sabre Jr. number one. It's got twice the amount of votes, so. Shit. If anything else, just review bomb. Well, it happened 10 months ago, so we, we have to consider that. Uh, but review bomb, Brian Denderson and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, give it all tens because it deserves it. Because this oh, was yeah, 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 that's match. right. Uh, I just a, a wonderful match. And like you said, right up there uh, for the American scene. I mean, like I said, I think all of my top ten will be Brian Danielson's various matches for the American style. Across the world, he'll be very high up there. But those are the two matches I thought of, too, uh, overall. So great stuff there. They bring up the Don Callis family now. They bring him out and, and they bring his team out, which is uh, Takeshita, Osprey, and Sammy Guevara. And then the, we have Omega, Ibushi, Jericho as the team. They shot the angle, which Kenny Omega fi- filmed, <laughs> where they beat up Kota Ibushi in the dojo that he had <laughs> in, in Japan. And... They came out and they had like a new painting where uh, Don, they were doing like the Last Supper of biblical fame. I'm very blessed with this <laughs> this picture uh, here, but it's it's the Pacific Northwest, so you don't have to worry <laughs> too much, I guess. Uh, but he was like Jesus, but then like Sammy Guevara was Judas, and uh, all the others were blurred out, <laughs> like all the other faces. They don't have twelve people uh, for this faction yet. Yet, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so they can they they'll just keep adding them in. They'll take this painting, and every time there's a new new person, they'll just put a new disciple. And, and, I'll uh, be down. But what about this match here? Too long. Um, God, like okay. First thing, Abushi looked great. I thought. Um, what did you think about Abushi? Abushi, because he was the one that I was looking forward to most seeing because. Mm-hmm. He's really struggled since he's come back, and I wanted to see him come in. He's in as good of a spot as you could have, a six-man tag, teaming with your prolific partner uh, coming in there. You want to see him do great. But uh, I thought he wasn't uh, – he, he was definitely improved from where he was at at All In and what he did in the cage, um, the Blood and Guts match. And But I liked what he did here. I definitely thought he was um, – a better a player than he had been before. And you compare him to what he was doing to what Jericho and Guevara were doing. And I think Ibushi had more to him than that uh, overall. Uh, I do agree totally with what you said about the match being too long, ultimately. Uh, and I think that there was some sloppy moments. Uh, the ending I didn't love at all. Uh, and, and this is another one I thought they really poorly handled it. Uh, the other one was done even better, and I didn't even like the first one, so I really didn't like this, where you had all of this going on, and Aubrey was like uh, – first of all, she clearly saw Don Callis in the ring when he was coming in. But secondly, she had to be distracted two t- times in a row to get to this point. So I didn't think it was very well done overall, but it was nice to see the Golden Lovers come in, do their thing with the cross lash. The best part of the match was clearly to me when we saw – the AEW debut of Murder Ibushi come in, where he flipped the switch, as they said, and that's when I really got into him and thought, okay, now we're doing some good things uh, here, and like you know, we're getting into the Ibushi we need, we're seeing the improvement that we need. So I really like that uh, overall. 
I still have to say I don't I don't love this feud, man. Like uh, Takeshita just comes across as not that special and the focus that he should be. Uh Callus just overshadows everything so much. And you had multiple storylines, you had the Sammy and Chris Jericho thing and I it kind of played into that uh with with that with the finish obviously, but it was just so poorly done. Uh, I'm glad that they got the win at least because that 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 stretches out Omega getting his big win over Takeshita, and I think that's where this will eventually go. But they've done a great job of making him at least be a threat. But I just think the way they portray him, and in general, like all of this family, they're just kind of lackeys, like, like yeah. all, all of them ultimately. And I, I wish that we would see more of them get spotlight. Which they tried to do a little bit of with Osprey a little bit, and you know Takeshita had his moments at the very start. But you look at Sammy's promo on Dynamite, and the stuff he was saying was so like not, like not worth it, not accurate at all. Because he was talking about how Jericho held him back. He needs to be on his own. He needs to ascend new heights on his own. And to do that, I'm going to be a lackey. To you know, like once again, I'm going to join Don Callis and be another lackey and i just i didn't like that part but still still whatever the worst could be this was still a good match like i had this at three and a half stars yeah um back to abushi like especially when he hit his murder abushi moment because i feel like in blood and guts and all in for the most part like he just Especially Blood and Guts is just a weird match type in general, right? And especially that was like your debut match in this kind of environment. Um, it kind of felt like Abushi was sort of trying to find his like footing within like this style, I guess. Um, so a lot of his signature moments kind of felt or came off feeling like almost artificial or like sort of plugged in. And yeah, the murder Abushi spot in here, like from the camera work to the the setup of it was just great, I thought. And it was really the solidification for me to be like, he feels like he's definitely back more so now. Um, you know, it feels like they're going to do Jericho and Kenny, but I would so much rather a Golden Lovers run. Um, Don Callis' family still so many issues with it. Like, the entrance objectively fucking sucks. Like, I'm sorry, but it's it, the, the music sounds like a fart. There's just nothing intimidating about a boom, you know, like it's once you hear it once, like you're going to go back out and be like, shit, man, I can't hear that noise again. I'm cover my ears in the ring like fuck. Um, and to me, this is very much like, you know, Callis needs to take a big step back. If he's going to be the a guy that assembles these killers then the killers need to be able like Swerve and Nana. I didn't mind the um, interference, right? With Callis helping in the finish, because he did help in the finish, right? It was like the he hit someone or whatever, yeah. handed him. Um, yeah, I he hated that. Him. Yeah, Sammy get the win over Jericho. Because I think that that if these three guys, if Kaneska Takeshita, Sammy Guevara, and Will Osprey need Don Callis's help to win a match then like they need more than this guy's fucking mentoring. Like it's just, I'm like, dude, like I think that is what makes them look the worst. I think that if you had Callis come out 
almost like, you know, an emperor, you know, godfather mafia type guy. And he just sits on the stage and watches his dudes beat ass. He doesn't need to do anything like the wrestlers should speak for themselves in the ring if he's going to speak for them predominantly outside of it. But right now, it really feels like this feud is Kenny Omega versus Don Callis. And I don't care about Don Callis, you know, like at all. Um, and that's to say in the sense of like, absolutely. That's the biggest problem with, with all of this, like in terms of emotional investment, like I do not care about Don Callis. I don't see him as some big bad. He's just fucking annoying, you know? And like, it's, I just don't care. I really don't care. I would be so much more invested in this again, if it was Takeshita Guevara and Osprey really heading this rather than just, you know, fulfilling some blood vendetta that Don Callis has. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't care for it much. Like the match is good, but the story is not my thing. And it, it feels yeah. like this and the MJF and cool things are the big stories right now. And I'm just like, damn, man, this is not for me. <laughs> I would like to see a Golden Lovers run as well. I think the fans would eat that up. And I just want this all to end with Omega and Callus. Uh, I don't think it's really helping anybody, to be honest with you. And if anything, it's keeping Omega one of your cornerstone people outside of big matches. Like, it should be him versus Takeshita in a one-on-one singles match. Then that leads to him versus Osprey in a big singles match. But instead, we've seen these repeated multi-man tags that nobody cares about. Like, it never uh, gets talked about after the show. Maybe we'll get, like, uh, Over the Limit 2011. Like, there's Brian Danielson versus um, Claudio Castagnoli. It goes 60 Minutes. And then the main event is Omega versus Don Callis in like a fire extinguisher match. Just like Cena and Laurinaitis. <laughs> shit sucks, dude. I'm fucking over it. Like just <laughs> straight those, up, I'm over it. Those were Don't. dark days. Those were dark days of the people power era. Yeah, uh, this is going to make me think of people power. Like, fuck. You know, Mel Coleman's art is so cool. And this needs to match the art. That's what it needs to hit. It's God, dude. I just, I, whoever made that creative decision or allowed it, I want to pinch him by the ear and just like make them listen to me. Like, Do you hear this? The only thing I could think of is that they didn't want. They wanted to give them a song that there was no way anybody could think is good. Like that way, nobody could sing along to it. Nobody could even like it. It's just the worst possible entrance that you could have with no redeeming qualities possible. Remember? And if that's what they wanted, then, then by God, then, then they, they got what they wanted. Because, yes, you are totally <coughs> correct. That entrance is truly awful. <laughs> do you remember when Dolph Ziggler would come out and it was just like a record scratch and there was just dead ass silent? <laughs> Wasn't I, that like, oh my God. Um, FTR and Ozzy Open, man. Whatever. This match, too. You weren't into this either? I mean, okay, so what's the reasoning for having this match on the card? 
It's I don't like, know. Aussie Open, last we saw him, lost to Jericho and Guevara before they brought up, so I don't know. And then, and then, yeah, Guevara and Jericho break up. I think we, I think you complained about this on our match. Yes, like, <laughs> um, what okay, do I like? <laughs> this, to me, it was like, remember they had that crazy, apparently legendary match at Royal Quest? I never watched it. <laughs> uh, and everyone was like, it's the greatest tag match of all time. And I'm like, okay. Um, and I, I feel like heard those words from me. Is all, is all <laughs> I feel like that's the only reason why this match was on the card was to try to recapture that energy and quality and spirit and put it in front of an AEW audience instead of like a the Rev Pro and New Japan. And I feel like they just did the opposite. Davis comes out of this injured. Um and FTR going exactly back to where they were before this. There is no change in them or their title feud. And putting this on this show in this fucking position and going nearly 21 minutes, like I would say few of my friends left after the Abushi match because they were like, I don't like Darby and I do not care about this match. Like, I'm fucking tired. Right. Because a lot of people get there around three. So at this point, you're almost six hours in. And let me tell you, like, you know, like most arenas, climate pledge, the seats are like, you know, six inches wide. And it's just like, you know, a Scotia fucking plastic that they give you to hang off of. So it's not comfortable. And then you also can't go outside to, you know, smoke and come back in. And that's that's not fun for wrestling. You want to get stony baloney and party, man. Um but uh, yeah, I thought this did no one any favors. Like I watched it, but Dylan, I cannot tell you a single thing that happened in this. I was so fucking tired at this point. And like I was honestly about to just like um, – because when we were originally going to record last night, I was like, I'm just going to watch these last two in the morning. And I was like, no, you know what? I'll just you know try to see what they can do because there's – I think there was also something to be said about – let's say that this match did wake everyone up again or like sustain that involvement, then that's pretty fucking remarkable too. And that's something you really only get on that first viewing, which I think can be said about the main event, which we'll get into. But yeah, like this just did nothing for me. And maybe if I go back and watch, I can say cool, but you know, this is one of those matches where it's going to get forgotten. And I think again, like it's this, this obsession with getting people on the card to have them on the card, but that doesn't necessarily do them favors. Right. And I think, you know, this headlining title Tuesday or whatever, or collision, they have three fucking shows a week. Like, you know, you can put one of these matches on one of those shows, please God. Um, I'm like you, if you put them in a spot like that, where it's way more meaningful, where you are driving to this, right. If you want to make it a moment, it's not going to be a moment here four hours into a show. And it's like, you know, FTR is not losing because the young bucks just won the fucking fatal four way to face him. So, but yeah, that's my, that's my two cents. Maybe that's three cents. That was a bit much, but what'd you think? (laughs) Match was good. Match was good. Honestly, Um, (laughs) it wasn't great. And because of all of the matches that we had seen on the show, I was definitely ready to get to the main event because I wanted to see what was going to happen was 
Darby going to get an epic hometown pop? Was Edge going to come back? You know, I wanted to get to the end of all of this, <laughs> to be honest, by the end of this. So maybe that is a me thing as well. But I didn't think this was a great match by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously hurt by uh, Mark Davis having his wrist broken as well. I'll give him this. They did a spot with, like, they did their own version of the Shatter Machine. And he had to lift him up with one hand. Like, one arm. Dude, yeah. Which was pretty impressive. Uh, But stuff went a little, not off the rails, but it felt like maybe they weren't giving able, not that they weren't trying, but they weren't able to give their full, you know, Molly here uh, overall. But still, um, they uh, did everything. They had Harwood uh, or Cash actually. He kicked out of everything. He he kicked out of the Coriolis and the Shatter Machine. Uh, Dax came in, and then in the end, they did the Shatter Machine up top on, on Fletcher, uh, Fletcher uh, to get the win here. I wish that this match had been more of a fast-paced type of match. I know that's not really in FTR's playbook anyway. Like None of their matches are really like that. But I think for the context of this show, I think they would have been a lot better off. Toning this match down in terms of time, Getting to the big spots that you wanted to do, you, you could tell that they clearly thought about some big moments by the end with, you know, Aussie Open stealing the moves, getting put over by <laughs> hitting everything they could. But it just it didn't work in the context of this show. And that's why the fan reaction was not there that high. And I think, again, how who could be emotionally invested in this match that's exactly like the purpose of this match sorry to cut you off but was to have a great match right imagine if this opened up instead of mjf and the righteous like that's that would have been a perfect position um and like i mean dude they also went full pro wrestling noah at the end of this like the last four matches 23 minutes 22 minutes 20 minutes 25 minutes like that's a lot because like, you know, pro wrestling, if you're really going to sit down and watch it, it takes a lot more investment than like general media, right? There is no dialogue. It is physical, you know, punctuation and all that shit. And it's just, that's like four long episodes of TV back to back, man. I just, I think it's when you start to demand that much of your audience, you better have a damn good reason and flow for it. Um, and that's, I mean, you know, already in on a pay-per-view with six matches before it. So 10, if you count zero hour, just crazy. (laughs) Um, but I had a, I had a completely opposite reaction to the main event. What did you think? Um, you want to get into Christian and Darby? How many stars did you give the, the tag match? Honestly, I don't even know if I should because I'm like, I really don't remember anything. I give it like two and a half, but I feel like that's just because I, it's just my, I'm like, I have nothing really to say. Negative or positive. 7.35 <laughs> on, on, from the inmates here. So, I yeah, and like, yeah. sorry. Real Go quick. ahead. I'll just move on to the main event. I don't know. I was, um, real quick, Fletcher is so good. He reminds me of Trent in terms of like, they can take any fucked up move like just totally ridiculous they are your guys to take those unreal bumps they're really good at them um but yeah like i mean okay honestly like in ring work good but yeah 20 minutes is too long and like you said there's no 
real connection. And if the connection is supposed to be the end ring, like the placement just does not complement that. Especially not stylistically. No. And I mean, FTR too, they're a team that has proven, especially with the Bucks, that they can work fast as well as other people's styles, you know, like hard hitting as hell. Like they can do the old school. They can, you know, they can do a lot of, they're very diverse wrestlers. And um, yeah, just wrong call here, I thought. But main event, um, one of those things where I was just like, all right, at first, like I love Christian. I fucking love Christian. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I do not remember a lot from this match. Like what's going to stick out to me is the stairs and afterwards. Um, like I remember Darby pinning cage first, that initial sequence. Um, you know, I thought Darby looked good there in his like quick little, you know, burst offense gets a pin on the bigger guy. But, dude, after that, like, this was one of those matches, in my opinion, where you're like, you know how WWE always does those those video packages of your hell in a cell, mankind falling, yeah. Shane McMahon coming off the fucking cell? Like, dude, this is one of those clips. Yeah. And you can tell that Christian – and I, it's, this is one of those matches where the fuck-ups and the ugliness complements it. And yeah, it's totally. kind of a – weird comp but what this reminded me of the most was um freedoms budokan last year daisuke masaoka versus uh toru sugira no canvas and it's just that hatred and in a lot of no canvas matches too like they just do not do sick bumps on the canvas and like that's me being an asshole in the sense of like yeah man power bombing because i cannot imagine the pain that goes through that but for me i'm like that's what makes a canvas match it's like a kankaro hoshino style thing where it's like yeah I i can break my back that's part of the deal here right um it's the hatred that comes with you know slamming someone with literally no padding and that's the centerpiece not the outside um there is no escape, you know, and when when Christian like so what Christian picks up Darby and then he just does not do it. He puts Darby over him and then Darby goes back up and you can tell Christian is not confident. And so he just drops Darby because Darby's going no matter what. And it just kind of felt ugly and like the intention of doing something truly evil was there. And then how do they follow it up? They do the fucking spot, and it was disgusting. And um, when Darby's being checked on by the doctors, I also I, I will say I think on the last show, you know, we talked about how the volume of doctor interaction spots it was just too many. But um, if I'm not mistaken, they only had like this one on this pay per view, and I thought that was pretty effective to have the and one the most deserving spot. one that you could have as well. Dude, because for me at first, I was like, oh man, he's done. And then you see Christian in the back start to clip the canvas. And the excitement and the sicko feeling that I got then, realizing what was to come, oh my God, dude, I got hyped. I'm pretty sure I tweeted out Christian's cutting off the canvas while Darby's getting stretchered. This is amazing. Like, and then Christian hitting the frog splash on the stretcher. Yeah. Like, Dude, this was one of the great hardcore matches in AEW. 
Um, you know, I felt like I think of stuff like Janela and Moxley. Um, I think of that first triple threat between like Darby Janela and fucking what's his, what was his name? Jimmy Havoc. Oh my God. Blast from the past. Not a good one. Um, but like when AEW, like the bunkhouse matches, right. And I feel like they still do a lot of hardcore matches, but they're more so like branded warfare, right? Like, you know, blood and guts, anarchy in the arena. But this was just like a good old school AEW hardcore match. Um, and definitely one of the most brutal I've ever seen. You know, the, the comp we always bring up is Darby versus Ethan Page. Yeah, and I think that this is the the only other Darby match. And there's been a lot that have been incredibly violent, but that matches that handcuffed in a body bag getting fucking thrown, you know? Yeah, um, I loved this. Like, I would give this four and a half as well. You know, I would say probably Brian. I mean, obviously, that was my favorite. But man, yeah, this wasn't that far off. No, this and seeing like this. And Swerve versus Page, I feel like could not be more different matches. And that yeah. is such a great thing, too. And it's very hard for me to choose one out of the two. But, um, you know, the I would say if there was one big negative to this, it was it was the post-match for me. Yeah, like, oh yeah totally. Sting coming out. And <laughs> I'm not about to disrespect Sting, Dylan, I promise. But they should have hit his music. I feel like that could have solved so much of that. For me, there was just a lot of awkwardness of just him, like, walking out with no music and everyone's just kind of watching him and he came in and that whole sequence was just not very clean. Um, it felt like it, he gets kind of got sent out there and I, they needed that music I thought to really kick it in. Um, and then, I mean, edge awesome. Right. And my, my favorite part is how he walks in the ring and he's face to face with Christian and you can see Christian just mouth. What do you want? And like that's his reaction to this entire situation. Everyone's freaking out. Oh my god, Adam Copeland in AEW and Christian just goes, What do you want? <laughs> just great, great Christian heel work. Um I liked the Nick Wayne turn personally. Um, I thought the belt shot looked really great. Um, I did not want Darby to win. I think there is a lot more value in Christian as a TNT champion right now. Um, this is yeah. probably my favorite Christian title run since like 2011 world heavyweight champion. One more match Christian, um, yeah. like his impact run, good matches, but I feel like it didn't have the character work. This does, um, you know, Darby benefits from this by getting to, you know, team with edge. And it, there's something about Darby Allen that he almost functions. It feels like as a magnet for these dream signings. Because it's like whenever people come in, they're just sort of drawn to Darby for some reason. Like he very much is that AEW. He's the Tony Deppin of AEW, you know? Um. <laughs> he's just like all these old guys come in and then there's this one particular lunatic that will ruin his body to where nobody even remembers that he wants old because they can't believe this man is putting his own body through what he's putting his body through. So yeah. This match was great. Um, the stuff with the stairs, that was just a total like insanity moment right there. Yeah. That should be replayed every week on Dynamite. They should put it in the opener. They should play video packages for it for months and years to come. 
like that's something everybody should remember and be made into a legendary moment. But I also love the psychology of it, where you got the count out win to even the odds over. Uh, you that's know, right. Yeah, Cage really never even got a clean one. That's fucked. I know, and it's perfect for his character on top of it, too. Uh, I love the stuff exposing the wood uh, of the ring and everything like that, cutting the thing off. It was perfect for Darby's crazy gimmick. And then I really loved it when he hit the coffin drop, but he kicked out. Like, what a great near fall. Yes, 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 yes. It gave Christian some credibility as a heel, totally added great drama from that point on. I mean, the crowd was into the match already, but just great drama for the psychology of the match. And the thing is, I don't like the turn only because of the zero hour match, pretty much. If they had just not done that match, I would be completely on board with it. You have the AR Fox stuff from before that you could directly point to and the execution of it was awesome. Because they showed him, like, he grabbed the belt, and they cut to his mom, and his mom is so happy. Yes! Like, that's my boy right there. He is a good guy. He's going to help Darby. Boom! Turn right away. Mom is pissed. Uh, Nick Wayne is finally turning heel on Darby. Um, Great stuff there, and that led to him screwing over his mentor, You've got real heat there, too, with the falling out that he had. Darby did have with his, with his dad at one point. Um, just such a smart match in addition to the just insanity that we saw there. And even the Edge debut was really well done where they teased the concerto, but then the lights yeah. went out. Um, AEW loves the lights out gimmick, but in this case, it really worked. They cut to a video of Edge hopping in this uh, vintage car driving across Seattle uh, to into the building, and then a revoiced You Think You Know Me happened. It wasn't the same one they had oh, in WWE. You Think You Know Him. Yeah, and then <laughs> they cut the they, they cut to the music, uh, Metalingus. Uh, like, they ended up using his mu- music. At the press conference, he said, that song goes where I go. Uh, Alter Bridge are my friends uh, there. And you couldn't have said it better like huge pop when he came in there. Everyone loved it. Uh, There's going insane. He teased the concerto on sting, but then immediately swerved and turned and nailed uh, Nick Wayne with it. As soon and what I love too, he beat down Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne uh, two on one, hit him with the spears. As soon as he turned and hit Nick Wayne with that chair, Christian immediately dropped out and ran away like out of the ring. Like he didn't even wait. He didn't look shocked. He just immediately ran away and got out. Um, the crowd went crazy. Darby shook hands with Edge. It felt like a big moment for Darby. Even in a loss, he got put over huge. And then Edge and Sting ended up having their uh, handshaking moment, and they never really did anything in their careers, obviously. Sting always in WCW and TNA, and the one time he did come into WWE, Edge was out. So uh, a nice moment of legends coming together. Uh Great energy. It felt like a huge win for AEW in general. And uh, Darby got put over again, even in a loss. I thought it worked perfectly. You could go a multitude of different directions with this new uh, pseudo group with Edge, Sting, and Darby. Whether they want to have Darby versus Nick Wayne. Does Edge go after Christian for the title? 
maybe have Edge and Sting as a tag team. And eventually, maybe him and, and Christian will reconcile one day. But there's a lot going on there, and uh, I thought it was just a great, great moment. Perfectly done debut. I thought it was great booking. Uh, the match was just completely awesome. A total testament. You have to give Darby Allen a ton of credit just for sacrificing his body and God knows how many days off of his life uh, in matches like these. But he continues on. I love the promo segment they had, too, building it up, too. I forgot to mention that uh, on Wednesday where he took the pain off and was like, I ain't hiding behind shit. Uh, like, there, you know, great heel logic from Christian all the way through. And there's a lot to, to do with him and Nick Wayne, too. I think that could be a great pairing if they want to build up him. I'm still not in love with Luchasaurus. I don't think he fits them at all, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, it's obvious he's just like, you know the heater, you know, like the big monster guy that you can put in there. But uh, still, though, well done, super well done, a main event of a fantastic show. Like, I think that those three matches we talked about, <laughs> Swerve and Hangman, Brian and Zach, and then the main event, I had all three of them at least four and a half stars. Um, Brian and Zach is like a match of the year level match, and the other two aren't that far behind. Like I said, I think they did a great job all throughout uh, like I said, the stuff that I didn't like, you know, the MJF stuff, it, it didn't – it's not for me, but it did work in its own way. And the other stuff, I do think they could have easily have cut a few matches off of this show and made it more digestible. But still, three matches at that level is really, really hard to do. So this has to be one of the better shows uh, that we've seen. And, and as usual, whatever qualms we have with the TV – the pay-per-views will deliver, and I thought this is right up there with any AEW ones to me. Now, what about you? Yeah, agreed. Again, like, if I mean, my complaints at this point with the pay-per-views are pretty much just consistent and centered around the MJF stuff and just the number of matches, right? And, you know, outside of that, they have been consistently delivering. Like, if you get three matches, honestly, like this – and even the rest are decent, you know, relatively like that's a great show, you know, like five years ago, we were not getting pay-per-views with a single good match sometimes, you know, so we, we are really, really spoiled as wrestling fans. And um, yeah, Wrestle Dream, like this back to back with All Out, it really feels like AEW, you know, they've been pushing a new chapter, etc. And um I'm excited for it. Like I am I'm feeling the momentum. I feel like, again, like they've refound their grounding in terms of a consistent, um, a consistent roster, consistent characters before it was such a revolving door of just new people and, and guest faces. Like why is Trent seven here? Um, and shit like that. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy with the show. Um, excited for what's next we're going full gear next right that's right that's coming up in november Let's see november 17th oh wait november 19th i think nonetheless <laughs> like uh, it's coming up in november uh, and uh yeah they have some options i don't know where they're gonna go with the mjf uh, and uh, the mystery men and Jay White. 
that's a mystery that's yet to be revealed. You have Swerve in the background if you want to push him up even further. What's Edge's impact going to be in the company now that he's here? Uh, the women, are they going to keep improving like we saw in this show? It's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. I think they're in a good spot right now. This main event was awesome, and that Edge signing felt like a big jolt in the arm for them. And I'm not even a huge fan of his, to be honest with you, but the energy he brought was just awesome. Uh, it feels like he could be a game-changing player for them if they play their cards right. He seems very invested, very cool. Uh, after the you know, post-show press conference, uh, Edge was really on his game. I thought he came across really well and likable. And I think overall things are looking nothing but good things in the future. Oh, you cut out there at the end. I heard nothing but good things in the future. Uh, yeah, nothing, uh, nothing oh, good things in the future for uh, AEW going forward. Hell yeah. Before we get out of here, I'll, I'm going to talk briefly about the uh, Fastlane show coming up this weekend. What? Yeah, that's right. Oh, wow. GCW's this weekend. Um, What is it? War Games. Yeah. And and then the next weekend, they are in Karakin Hall. Oh, man. I I can't wait. I'm very excited about that War Games. Uh, I I really am into that. I can't wait to see how it plays out. Uh, But we talked about that on on the show we did uh, talking about Homecoming. They set that up there, and I think that... Uh, it should be a hell of a match. Something really exciting to see. Should be crazy. Uh, the WWE show. There's only been five matches announced so far. The first one is the Judgment Day defending the uh, undisputed tag team titles. They're taking on Cody Rhodes, Jay Uso, and they start. <laughs> He's never gonna fucking finish that story, no. is he? No, I'm never. so sorry. <laughs> Uh, it'll, we have to wait for the uh, Now that the fighting strikes over, maybe Rock will go away now. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're doing a storyline. The whole point of this is they did a deal on Monday where J.D. McDonough was like, we're going to give them the title shot because now it's going to piss KO and Sammy off. And that's going to mess, like it's going to cause dissension and they're going to turn on each other and we'll stand tall in the end. Like, that's basically the story they're playing with this. Word. Okay. I mean, I don't know. No no words. No words, really. What, what's the rest of the card? <laughs> You've got the LWO. It's going to be Rey Mysterio, Santos Escobar, and one of Joaquin Wilde or Cruz del Toro. They haven't decided who the third man will be. They'll take on Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits, uh, their new group. Uh, they reconciled last week on SmackDown and beat the hell out of LWO. So we're going to see who that is. I'm sure whoever it will be will be the pin taker of the match anyway, so it's fine. I, I really like both of them, but uh, Cruz Del Toro to me is like one of the best workers in WWE. I think he's like super talented. Uh, I wish he would get more matches overall. Uh, but yeah, I think that the Judge Rodeo retained the titles. And uh, as I said, I think Lashley and the Prophets will <laughs> win this and continue their push. Uh, the other match is the triple threat match for the WWE Women's title, which is Charlotte Flair, Asuka, and Io Sky. Io defending her title here, triple threat. 
they did a thing where EO faced Asuka, and it was pretty good. But it wasn't as great as I wanted it to be, uh, their match on SmackDown. And it didn't seem like the crowd was super heated <laughs> for it either, to be honest. And I, I don't think the addition of Charlotte will make any of that any better uh, overall. I'd like to see something where maybe Bianca interferes, takes out Charlotte, and uh, aligns with her husband and their faction uh, there, set her and Charlotte away from the title, and give Io and Asuka a big title match on a pay-per-view and let them really go all out. Because uh, I think if they do that, we'll see something big there. But I think EO will retain overall. You also have to keep a lookout for Kyrie Sane uh, coming back as well. Mm. I don't think that will happen though, because she's got one match left on the ninth. So I, I think Kyrie will come back after the show. Uh, to, and maybe you could do something where the idea I said happens. Bianca takes out Charlotte. Damage control interferes again. And that gives reason for Asuka to get another rematch against EO, and that'll bring in Asuka and Kairi versus Damage Control <laughs> in a match, I, I think would be the smart way to go about it. That would be really cool. Bailey and EO versus Asuka and Kairi. <laughs> Good for Bailey. <laughs> She's still hanging in there. She's still <laughs> hanging in there. I saw where Dakota Kai and Zelina, they started their, their YouTube channel. There. Uh, talking about video games and anime, I watched their first video. Dakota said her first gaming crush was Devil Jin from Tekken. On <laughs> specifically Devil Jin, not regular Jin, though, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, there, Who was your first crush in anime or gaming? In gaming? Yeah. Who stood Lu- out for you? Luigi. I mean, that's the natural. I, that's the one I've <laughs> so. Honestly. Probably, yeah. probably Luigi. I mean, I, I like him. I like the vibe. I like his vibe. I'm just trying to think of like games I played when I was super, super young, and I'm like, yeah, it's probably Kirby. That's like when I found out I was queer. Probably I was like Kirby, cute little non-binary fluff ball. Like, looks like it'd be good for cuddling. Sweet, multifaceted, can do multiple careers as we've seen. Can really like juggle different identities you know i'd marry kirby but kirby's not human ah all right luigi it is yeah that's illegal in most states (laughs) what the fuck is kirby that's true we never figured out what is kirby i watch i watch kirby's show right back at you Uh, human is Kirby human? We have to. Kirby have to is a legendary star warrior. I think that's fair. Okay, I'm not going to judge you for this. I was I I, I was more into Luigi. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you over this <laughs> right now. Can I not marry star warriors? There's uh, no rules against that. <laughs> There's no rules here. I don't know. I can't even think of a crush like that because. Like you said, back then, it was a totally different time. Oh, the guy from Yu Yu Hakusho as well. What's his name? You. No, it's uh, not. Something else. I, I, I can't remember the name, but I know what you're talking about. Kazuma, dude. That weirdo guy, the big boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just stone face. Welcome to the real podcast, folks. 
it's what everybody loves most. But I, I was just making a point that Dakota Kai doing great things. You know, listen, and Devil Jen is not necessarily human either, I guess. Her pick. I, he kind of is, but kind of an angel, but a, a devil. It's just, I don't know. I'm a huge Tekken fan, to be honest with you, so I highly approve of that. I'm not as much of a Nintendo guy, so... But I'm obviously, I've played Kirby and Mario and all that. I, I'm not that far gone, no, but... Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to think about it, uh, overall. Uh, like I said, uh, <laughs> you know, this, is, this is something I haven't put a lot of thought into, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I will come up with an answer one day. That's going to be the tease of this show. Who was my first gaming crush? This is the... See, now this is the cliffhanger. Good job. That's exactly what you're talking about. More shows need cliffhanger endings. Just like Jay White getting beaten down by five people. <laughs> Dylan's gaming crush. The anime <laughs> crush is very easy because it was obviously Sailor Jupiter. Uh, on, on the, uh, so it was obviously not going to be anybody else at the end of the day. Uh, but still, uh, there's lots of options to go with. I'm gonna have to. Th- do, I'm gonna do a deep dive into my psyche. <laughs> I'm, I'm growing up now to see who I like the most. But I approve of, of all of your answers, uh, uh, truly, and I definitely approve of Devil Jin and any fighting game characters as well in general, uh, whether it's for Mortal Kombat, Tekken. I'm not a huge Street Fighter fan, to be honest with you. I'm not like okay. I respect fighting games. I am dog shit at them like i can pretty much play 99 of like game genres but when it comes to fighting i cannot do anything and like i can do all the rhythm games at expert whatever but yeah like outside of like i think it was tekken 5 had like that campaign mode where you're fighting in halls yeah. and stuff kind of like day of reckoning you know when fighting games do that stuff, they definitely pull me in more because I like the lore. I like that stuff. Like, I want to check out the new Mortal Kombat, but, like, I'm just not God, good. Oh, I love I love Mortal Kombat will always and forever be my favorite uh, on there. Liu Kang might have been one of my first crushes, to, to be honest with you, uh, on there. But he's but more like an idol in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> I, I, I love Liu Kang a lot. And Sub-Zero. And all of them, really. Kung Lao, Scorpion. I like all the characters. And they're Katana, Jade. Uh, I was really worried about this new one because I thought Eleven ended off so good with Katana and Liu Kang's uh, ending together. And I thought, man, how are they going to do this? And they took a really interesting spin on it uh, overall. So we will see that. But uh, watch... uh, Dakota Kai's and Zelina Vega's channel. <laughs> and they will talk more about all sorts of anime gaming related things, surely, uh, coming up forward. Uh, only other match on the card, well, Cena and LA Knight versus the Bloodline. Uh, oh, man, right? they're fucking just digging up scraps now. <laughs> yeah, like, this is the best you had for Cena? <laughs> they're just... It's yeah. like if the bloodline was one person, they're just like wheeling them out in a wheelbarrow. They're like on oxygen. They're like, come on, bud, just go in there. Fourth inning, buddy. You're almost there. Like, this is the best you had for Cena <laughs> coming yeah. back here. He broke the riding strike. <laughs> like, he broke through the fence of the riding strike or the picket sign or whatever. Um, Seth and Nakamura, last man standing match for the world title. 
here we are again. A last man standing world <laughs> title match with Nakamura. Match. This is when I thought he was going to win against AJ. It was the last man standing match. And now here we are again. And I think he's going to win against Seth, but I doubt it. Do you think he's going to win or do you doubt it? Those are two opposite points of view. You know what I think would be the sickest is fucking have Seth drop the title to Nakamura and Seth is the guy that goes to SmackDown. Yeah. I would so much rather Seth versus Roman at Mania than Cody versus Roman. You got a lot more history with those two. Yeah, and it would probably be a good match. Yeah. Like, I I don't like Cody and Roman. (laughs) I didn't like that match. You are running the anti-Cody agenda. Oh, for sure. Whoever your gaming first crush was, it definitely wasn't Cody. (laughs) I mean, okay, if we want to talk about really marquee matches this weekend, we have Art of War games as well. You know, you have Team Freedoms versus Team GCW. But most importantly this weekend... GCW world title match, Blake Christian, the champion, versus Jimmy Lloyd. If Jimmy Lloyd wins this weekend, Dylan, I will get a Jimmy Lloyd tattoo. I say this on the air right now. I swear on my life I will get a Jimmy Lloyd tattoo if he wins the world title this weekend. I have never wanted something more in pro wrestling than for Jimmy Lloyd to be the world champion of GCW. Strong words right there. Is it shots fired at Blake Christian? Absolutely not my champion. Well, his match I wasn't a big fan of at homecoming. I will agree. I've gotten some negative responses. GCW ran their show in in Germany uh, recently, and I knew a bunch of people that were there, obviously. And uh, Blake Christian did not get a lot of love. Uh, He was criticized heavily for his match, so... Uh, what is going to happen? Is Jimmy Lloyd going to take the title? Is Blake Christian going to lose the title? Will you get a tattoo of Jimmy Lloyd? Will we talk about anime and gaming crushes ever again on this show? All questions that will be answered. We know we'll talk about it again because I already teased I'm going to reveal my gaming crush. So that's a future hook for you to listen in to all the people out there. You want to know what I'm going to say. You never know. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to beat Luigi or Kirby. But I will find a way, by God. Uh, But regardless, I'm so glad we got to do the show. It was a ton of fun. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, it's always a blast. Oh, absolutely. I I missed you. I told you. I I was thinking about you. I was thinking about this the whole time when I saw that video. I said, I knew I've got to ask Agnello (laughs) who was his crush. And we got the answers. (laughs) You told the truth and nothing but the truth. And that's why everybody loves you. Because you speak in facts. You speak in reality. You speak (laughs) with emotion and your true feelings. You speak for every Star Warrior out there. And for that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. My lovely Star Warriors. Um, (laughs) Oh, my match of the week. The the Nello Sicko match of the week. This was we're going to go back in time, Taylor. Talking May 12th. 2001 nassau coliseum sold out 14,509 people world wrestling federation jacked episode 90 steve blackman versus prince nana yes (laughs) everything about this is i love that's a match that's a real match i 
am the ultimate Steve Blackman respector. I love that dude, and I always have and always will. And he wrestled Prince Nana. I just found the match. I'm dropping it in the Skype chat. Yeah. Oh, I am watching this immediately after (laughs) Then we get off of the air here. Uh, Before the show, I linked him to... uh, Mystico's uh, telenovela appearance, a 10-minute video on what he did on the show, yep. and you linked me, Prince Nana, and Steve Blackman. Real I, wrestling, real graps. I love you so much. I love you too. <laughs> Hopefully you guys enjoyed the, the show and the descent into madness we had after WrestleDream ended. <laughs> Uh, but we will only go further next week as we talk about GCW and Fastlane as well. It will be a bona fide hoot, no doubt, but uh, we will put all the links in the description and the cage match and the YouTube and all of that stuff. Uh, thank you guys for supporting the show, uh, listening to the show, watching the show on YouTube. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. I, I didn't talk about this to you at all or anybody else, uh, to be honest with you. But our last episode was our highest well, I don't know how to describe this. That doesn't even make any sense. Our most listened to show yet that we've done. Sweet. Uh, our YouTube views did triple our previous uh, biggest show as, as well, to be honest. So people were into it, man. Uh, people Ooh. loved it. Yeah, people loved what we had to say about Grand Slam. And uh, hopefully they enjoyed this one as well. So uh, thank you to all the listeners out there, truly, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, they, you know, we're going to be back next week, next episode, whenever we get we get the time to do it. We're definitely going to talk more of all the great wrestling going on in America right now. Maybe even some crappy wrestling going on as well. And, of course, more gaming and anime lore that we will lead into our lives. As always, <laughs> you know I love you. And until next time, this has been your Wrestle Update. <laughs>